um, and we're going to be talking about the second part, this idea of love thy neighbor. All right, this is, I want to read the text again. This is in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But Jesus doesn't end it there. I heard one uh, pastor say that it's like a hamburger. You have to have fries. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 It's the same plate. It's one response, but it's the hamburger and fries. They come together. He says, you got to love God. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Father, again, we thank you for this time that we can be here. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for how, how powerful this idea is. And God, if we can learn to love you and love one another, God, it would transform not only our life, but the world around us. So God, would you help us to live like this? Lord, help us to understand what you're talking about. Help us pay attention tonight. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus says we are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor. Yet sometimes it is, it is more difficult, I think, to love the people around us than it is to love people far away from us. I was thinking about this um, one time I was visiting a friend uh, and I was staying with him for a couple of weeks. And um, you know, after you spend enough time with somebody, even if you like them a whole lot, like there comes a point where you don't like them at all anymore. <laughs> And I remember this time, uh, him and I, we were, we were outside skateboarding, and I don't remember what happened, but something happened, and I just, it was like day 10, and I was just done. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I don't even want to look at your face anymore. And so we got in a fight, and I remember, like, so, so adult of me, we were probably 14 or 15, but uh, I, I remember I, like, ran away from him and locked him out of the house, and then I ran upstairs. There was we were staying at this these random people's house. I literally I think about this. I'm like, whose house were we even staying at? I have no idea. So, anyways, I ran up their stairs and I opened up their window and I was looking down at him. He was locked outside and I was calling him names from up. Like I'm like, you're an idiot. I hate you. You're a loser. Whatever. And then finally he's like, well, let me in there. Let's like, get to the bottom of this. And I'm like. That's it. That's fine. Like, unlock the door. We walked back upstairs. We, like, cleaned out. Again, I don't even know these people. We cleaned out the upstairs and then full-on wrestling match. Like, noogies, punching. Like, we, like we're, so, we're so done with each other. And then at the end of it, we just, like, we're like, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, cool. Do you want to, like, go outside and skate some more? I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> And, and, like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes it is, it is so difficult to love the people closest to you. Anybody been there? Like, you're, whether it's your sibling or it's your best friend or it's the people around you, you just like, I don't even like you anymore. And Jesus tells us that, that one of the greatest commandments is to not only love God but to love people. This is paramount in the teaching and the philosophy of Jesus. Some people try and separate these two, like love God, but I'm not so good at loving people. For Jesus, they came together. 
Jesus said, the guy asked for one. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, it is to love God, but I can't leave it there. Because it's not about us isolating ourselves in the pursuit of God. Because you cannot divorce loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus puts these things together. Now, because it's important, Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment. The f- number one and number two, they go together. Let's break this down word by word, all right? So we're going to talk about love thy neighbor as yourself. We're going to break it down word by word. Number one, he says love, right? That's, that's the response. Now, this is the point of what Jesus is talking about. If you could boil down his teaching, if you could boil down his response, it is love God, it is love people. So we have to understand what he means when he says love. This, again, is a very important idea for Jesus, but it's not like our understanding of love or our culture's idea of love, which is, for the most part, and I'm not saying always, but for the most part, in and of itself, culture's love or worldly love is a very selfish kind of love. It's a love motivated by self. The driving factor for love is is feelings or what we might get in return. So we love uh, maybe because we want some sort of affirmation. Like we love because we think we deserve love. And so we, when we love, it is for the affirmation back, like, I also deserve love. I am also a recipient of love. And most times, the people that we love also love us. So there's affirmation. I deserve love, therefore, I love. It's some sort of love in return. It validates our feelings of love sometimes. When we, when we love and we get love in return, it validates our feelings. Like the worst situation you could probably ever be in is if, if you have a significant other and you, you probably should never say this, at least not for a long, long time at your guy's age. But if you ever get to the point where you tell a significant other, I love you. And you respond back because you definitely didn't say it in person. They respond back, dot, dot, dot. Cool, bro. Like that is, that's the, like that's the worst. It doesn't get any worse than that. I love you. That, oh, awesome sauce. (laughs) Like what? It's horrible. It's the worst case scenario. And, And so a lot of times our love is motivated by the recipient or what we're gonna receive for that pursuit of love. Or maybe the love is motivated by the, the, the actions that we want back towards us. So we want to show love because we want acts of love returned to us. We want people to buy us stuff, and so maybe we buy them stuff. Whatever the case, there's a motivation that oftentimes is driven by self. And the idea that Jesus presents about loving God and loving people is a self-sacrificing love, a love that expects nothing in return. It's the same word that Jesus used to love God. It's this Greek word agape, and it's it's a love that it does not expect anything in return. It's a love that lays down and gives and gives and gives, even when you're not getting something back. 
And Jesus tells us, using the same word, to love people with the same intensity as we love God. The main difference is that people didn't give their life on a cross for our sake. And so sometimes when we start with the first one and it's love God, because we talked about it last week that our love for God is motivated by his love for us. We love God because he first loved us, the Bible says. And so when you examine your own life and you examine God and what he's done for us, it is easy or it should be easy for us to love God. Why? Well, he gave us everything. The very breath in our lungs is a response to God's outpouring on our life. And so we should, it, should, it should be easy for us to love God because he gave us everything. And then he says in the same word, with the same idea that we are to love people. Can I be honest with you? That is difficult. Why? People are annoying. <laughs> right? Like God gave us everything. People like cut you off when you're driving down the road. Like people like are so aggressive that you're in the grocery store and they like run you down with their shopping cart. You're like, what even is this? Like, go back to Canada, please. <laughs> Whew, snowbirds, am I right? Anyways, like, like people, people are, are, are sometimes hard to love. And Jesus says with the same intensity and the same focus and the same response that you love God, love people. But listen, this is, this is the catch. The drive is not what others do. It's still what God has done. Wow. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, uh, John writes, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, ready for a big word, the propitiation for our sins. The idea is the replacement or the payment for our sins. And he says, beloved, if God so loved us, and you would think he would say, we also ought to love God. Look what he says. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says, because God has loved us so fiercely and without any expectation of anything in return, he says, because God has loved us, let us also love one another. And the call is to love. It's not motivated by self or what we might get or, 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 or what we think people deserve. It is motivated by what God has given to us. So he says love. Then the second thing or the who he says is your neighbor. Is love your neighbor, point number two. Now let's talk about the implications of the idea of neighbor. And we'll start close and we'll work our way out. All right, so we'll start with the closest neighbor and we'll work our way out to the farthest neighbor. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, there's a similar situation to this. A, a person comes up to test Jesus again and he asks a very similar question. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Only in this context, Jesus responds and he says, you're a lawyer. What do you think it is? So in this, in this text, Jesus answers. He says, love God, love people. He turns to the lawyer. He says, what do you think? And the lawyer actually gives a very similar answer. He says, love God and I guess love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Go and do that. And then the text says that wanting to justify himself, the lawyer responded and he goes, who is my neighbor anyways? Like neighbor is such a vague idea. 
Like, who really is my neighbor? And I think that's a great question for us to ask. If Jesus says, love your neighbor, we should ask, well, who's my neighbor? Well, let's start with your next door neighbor, shall we? Like, let's start with the people on your street or in your apartment complex. Let's start with the people that live closest to you, whether it's in the, the house next door or the bedroom next door. Neighbor is the people closest to you by location. I think sometimes when we talk about love your neighbor, we skip over our next door neighbor. Like God means love our neighbor and like that just means love everybody. But we don't know the person next to us name. You know what I mean? Like there's people in our classroom that we sit by every single day and we like, like I don't even know their name. <laughs> and, and maybe when Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, he literally meant like love your neighbor. Like the people in your neighborhood. I know Hannah and I, we, we struggled with this when we were living in our apartment when we first got married. We, we knew it was a small apartment complex, so we knew of everybody. And, and there was one neighbor that constantly, they would invite us over. They'd ask us to hang out. We're like, eh, no, we're good. I, I honestly don't even know their name. And after we moved out, I'm like, we are horrible, horrible followers of Jesus. The two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. I don't even know my neighbor's name. Like, that's terrible. When we moved into our house where we live now, we kind of got like an easy way out of this. It was a part of the work God was doing in our heart about realizing, like, maybe we should practice this idea literally and learn our neighbor's name. But we have the greatest next door neighbor of all time. Like, literally, the, the first, like, week we moved in, I was mowing our lawn, and I have, like, the most ghetto lawnmower you've ever seen in your whole life and it was not working and my neighbor like you could hear him whistling and he like comes out he's like howdy neighbor you need to borrow my mower and I'm like who even are you I'm like but yeah that sounds great and and we have a great relationship with our neighbor now but it was one of those things God working in our hearts like maybe when Jesus said love your neighbor he meant your neighbor like maybe he meant your your sibling who who sleeps in the room next to you or the people that live in your block or the people that that by location are close to you. And so neighbor is people that are close to you by location. Neighbor is also people that are close to you by relationship. What I mean by that is your friends, the people that you identify with, the people that, that, that you like. Like when Jesus says love your neighbor, he means like love your friends. Love the people that you like. Love the people that you hang out with. And, and many of us, we have people that we just, we just get along with, right? I've got those friends that were instantly, I meet them, and I'm like, it's like I've known you forever. Like you're just, we get along, we like the same, we like the same music or the same food or we like the same sports team or we have the same views on a subject or whatever it is. People that we just, I just get along with you, therefore you are my neighbor. And Jesus means love your neighbor, the people that you get along with close in relationship, but neighbor is also those that are not close to you by location and are not close to you by relationship. What I mean by that is neighbor is not just the people that look like you, talk like you, dress like you, laugh like you, and you just get along with, and you're like, of course I love you because you're my buddy. Like we get along, we have great hangs. That, that 
neighbor is, is also somebody that maybe doesn't look like you. Maybe they're a different race than you or a different background than you or a different experience in life or different views on certain situations, political or, or ethical or whatever it is. People that are different from you, Jesus would say that is your neighbor also. It's easy, it's easy to love the people that are like you. It's much more difficult to love the people that are different than you, and yet Jesus says to love people that are different. Jesus was radical in his love by showing love to people that were very different from him. Jesus hung out with people of different races and religions. You can see the Samaritan woman or the Roman centurions that Jesus would often hang out with, race and religion. Jesus hung out with prostitutes, people with very different lifestyles than him. Luke chapter 7, Jesus hung out with, in fact, one of his closest followers was a terrorist. Simon the Zealot, a zealot is a terrorist. That they did not like the Roman occupation, and so they, by force, did stuff about it. That was one of Jesus' closest followers. He also, in the same line, he had one of his 12, Simon the Zealot, and right next to him was Matthew the tax collector. And Matthew the tax collector, he was a Jew, but he sort of pledged his allegiance to the Romans. And so he was a friend of the Romans, and literally in the same group of friends around Jesus, there was somebody that pledged allegiance to a Roman, and then also people that were terrorists against the Romans, right in Jesus' group. The same pocket of the the 12. Jesus hung out with people that the Bible just calls sinners. Like that was like the, that was their name. There was tax collectors and all that group, that's just the sinners. Could you imagine if like that was what your friend group was called? Oh yeah, them, those are just the sinners. <laughs> Jesus had very different backgrounds, races, religions, beliefs, ideologies, practices all of which he hung around and all of which he loved. He brought them in. For many of them, he shared a meal with them, a conversation with them, brought them into his life, into his space, and he loved them. And he loved them exactly where they were. Jesus had plans for their life. Jesus would love to see them change and experience the life that he had for them, but he loved them right in the midst of where they were. Listen, we're called to love those that are different from us. And there are many people that we can put into category, whether it's race or sexual orientation or political view or whatever it is, God has called us to love. And then sort of the the farthest away, so you've got neighbor in the sense of people closest to you by location or relationship. You've got neighbor in the sense of people farther from you or across the way from you, both in location and relationship. And then the furthest out, Jesus would categorize as your enemy. Now, we'll talk about this more next week about how to love your enemy and this idea. But Jesus blurs the lines in his teaching between neighbor and enemy. Jesus has no different way of treating people that he would classify as neighbor or enemy. It's the same. What we're supposed to do to your neighbor and what you're supposed to do with your enemy is exactly the same. It's love. 
He blurs the line. And we, we like to categorize, like, well, this person, I like them. This person, I don't really care for. And this person, I, I despise. And this person, I don't know. And so my treatment of those people are different based upon where I put them in my circle. And Jesus blurs the lines completely, and he says, I don't care if they're your best friend or if they're your worst enemy. My call for you is to love them. My call for you is to love them. So he says... Love, it's a self-giving, it's a self-sacrificing, expecting nothing in return. Your neighbor, close to you, far from you, love or hate, the call is to love your neighbor. And then the third thing he says is as yourself. Love your neighbor, he says, as yourself. Now, Jesus, in his second answer about neighbor, is also quoting an Old Testament verse. If you remember last week when he says, love God above all else, he's quoting a verse from Deuteronomy, Leviticus. It says it like this, Leviticus 19, um, verse 13. I'll read, there's quite a few verses, but I want you to see the context of it all. He says, you shall not, this is God speaking to the people of Israel. He says, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, if you hire somebody, pay them that day. He says, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Let me just pause for a moment. You, you hear, if the fact that God had to write that down shows the depravity of human beings. Like if there was ever an urge in anybody to put a stumbling block before the blind... And God's like, no, people are that messed up. People are that messed That's why we need Jesus. Because we are so messed up that that is in the nature of people. That God would literally, for Bi in the Bible forever and ever, would have to write that down. He says, he says, don't put a, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. He says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. In other words, don't gossip, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. In other words, if he's done something wrong, address it. Don't just like let it like fizzle out and create bitterness in your heart. He says, you shall rebuke him. You shall, you shall talk about it and not bear sin against or because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Ready for it? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, in the context of this statement, is God telling the people of Israel how to deal with their neighbors specifically when they have problems with the people around them? Right, so when, when God set up the nation of Israel, he kind of, there was sort of three parts of the law. There was, there was a uh, ceremonial law or religious law, how they were going to worship God. There was a, um, oh man, there was an ethical law in the sense of, of how they were going to treat one another that dealt specifically with them as a people group or a nation. And then there's a moral law, and those moral law transcend the people of, and the nation of Israel. And so, so God is talking about how they are to deal with their neighbors. And the context is when you have a problem with people. So he says, don't cheat. Don't, don't talk bad about them. Don't hold grudges against them. 
Don't rebuke them. And then he says, so radical, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is a radical idea. This is, in a sense, the golden rule. Has anybody ever heard of the golden rule? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, if you haven't, this is the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You heard that? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Before Jesus, he says it in uh, John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7. Before Jesus, this concept was unheard of. Now, there were similar ideas that happened pre-Jesus. There was, there was this idea of do unto others as you would have them do to you. This idea only uh, in the negative. What I mean by that is other philosophers and other religions and other ideas had this idea. Don't do to others what you wouldn't do, want done to yourself. Right? Don't do to others what you wouldn't done, want done to yourself. Which that's a good way of living, isn't it? Don't do unto others what you wouldn't want done to yourself. So imagine for a second you're in a situation where maybe you, you broke down on the side of the road. Right? You're, you're in your car. Your car breaks down. A friend of mine, ha that happened this morning. His wife's car broke down. We had to drive over, help him fix it. I did nothing. I stood there. And he got a wrench out, crawled underneath the car, whacked it, something underneath a couple of times, started the car right up. True story. I was like, man, car stuff is that easy? That's amazing. Um, so, right, so imagine for a second that's you. You're stranded on the side of the road. Don't do to others what you wouldn't done, want done to yourself. That idea is like it, it would be horrible if somebody like rammed their car into you while you were stranded on the side of the road, right? Like that would just be like a huge bummer. And you're like, don't do that. Like I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want that done to me, so... So please, I'm not going to do that to you, right? That, I mean, it's, it's that simple. It's basically just leave me alone. Like, don't do anything worse to my already horrible situation. What Jesus does, John chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, he says it like this. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The idea here is it takes it to a positive. Now it's saying, don't just avoid me as you see me broken down on the side of the road, but in fact, help me. Because if you were broken down on the side of the road, or if I was broken down on the side of the road, I would have no idea what I was going to do. Hit it a couple times with my wrench. That didn't work. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> and so what I would want done for me is somebody to inconvenience themselves, pull over on the side of the road, Say, do you know what you're doing? And I would say, I have no stinking clue what I'm doing. Do you? And they would say, actually, as a matter of fact, I do. They would hit it properly with the wrench. The car would start, and I'd be on my merry way. Right? Do unto others as you would want done to you. Jesus takes a, a pretty standard way of living. A pretty, I mean, just don't. Don't be mean to people because why would you, you don't want people to be mean to you. What Jesus says is don't just not be mean to people, show love to people. Don't just like ignore people when they're, uh, they're, they probably know somebody that could help them on the side of the road. They probably texted or called somebody already. I don't need to stop. I don't know what I'm doing. 
That's my excuse whenever I see people. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to help them? Don't just ignore them. What Jesus says is love them. Love them. He makes it a positive. He makes it a very high calling. But what I want you to see, this is so important for us in worship team. You guys can come back up here. He says, love your neighbor as who? Yourself. You, you could say it like this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor in the same way in which you love yourself. And in order to do this, hear me out, we must love ourselves. In order to do this, we must love ourselves. Now, this sounds kind of weird and a little bad. Like I'm up here saying you need to learn to love yourself which is kind of like the mantra of our world today. I was laughing, I was, I was teasing Hannah the other day because I read one of her like shampoo bottles or like something like that in the shower. And like literally on the back of the description was like, you are a fierce warrior woman and you can do it. And I'm like, I'm like reading this thing like, we really need motivation to wash our hair? Like what is happening? Like, you, you are amazing, fierce woman, warrior, goddess, awesome. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's shampoo. Like, put it in your head and move on. But, like, there's, there's so much in our culture, in our world today that's, like, love yourself. And, like, you're amazing. And you're a warrior. And you got it. And, and. It's great, like, I hope they sell more shampoo bottles. But, but the idea of, of, of self-love and what, what Jesus is talking about is not that idea. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if Jesus is telling us to love others like we love ourselves, and we don't love ourselves or, our, or view ourselves properly, we can't love people properly. So if he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you don't love yourself right, how are you going to love your neighbor right? Right? That's what he says. He says, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself right, how can you love your neighbor? Because you will love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. And if you don't love yourself right, how can you love your neighbor right? And loving ourselves is ingrained in us. It's natural, right? I mean, to put a really silly excuse or example, like when we take a group photo, who do we look for in the photo? Ourselves. And how do we determine if it's a good photo or not? How we look in the photo, right? If, if we're sneezing, it's a terrible photo. If the person next to us is sneezing and our hair looks nice, who cares what they're doing? <laughs> I look great. So it's ingrained in us. We love ourselves. It's a very simple principle. The problem, here's the problem. When we don't love God and allow God to give us the proper way to love ourselves, we can't love ourselves properly. Loving yourself, listen, this is key. Loving yourself is having the proper view and value of yourself. Many people don't love themselves. Some people don't even like themselves because we receive our value from the wrong places. 
Maybe we love ourselves based upon how our friends love us. Maybe you're the butt of the joke, or maybe you're always, or you're never good enough, or maybe you are the person that everyone uses as the example of what not to be like. And so our value is decreased. Maybe we value ourselves based upon what culture says. Like culture says, this is what people should look like. This is what people should laugh at. This is how people should interact. This is how much money people should make. This is the life that people should live. And when you don't meet those categories, your value goes down. Maybe your value is based upon your family and maybe you're not treated by your family. Maybe you come from broken homes or, or, or maybe you feel like you're the blame for your broken home. And so your value has decreased because of the situations or the environment in which you live. Maybe your value is decreased because of your experiences or your actions. You look back and you look at your failures and your mistakes, and now your value is a response or a result of your own failures and mistakes. And so then our value decreases. We can't love ourselves, and we can't love people as we've been called to love them. So here's what we must do. Rather than getting our value from what people say about us, we've got to get our value from what God says about us. And allowing that to affect the people around us, we are not able to just love ourselves. We have to be a recipient of God's love for us. And when we can begin to value ourselves and look at ourselves as God looks at us, what happens is you realize that the same way God looks at you is the same way God looks at the person in your classroom that you don't like. He looks at them as a child of God. He looks at them as a, creation, as a person created in his image, a person that he's got a plan for, a person that he's got a hope for, a person that he's got a future for. And when you start to apply those things for yourself, you have to apply it to the people next to you. You can't grab hold of the promises of Scripture, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I, I, I'm created, I'm formed, I'm, I've got plans, and not apply it to the person next to you. It has to happen. And what, what happens is, is you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm loved by God. Oh, my gosh, you're loved by God. God has a plan for your life. God has a calling on your life in the same way that he's a, God, a calling on my life or, or your life or your life or his life or her life or whatever it is. When you can begin to view, wait, I am a recipient of the love of God. You're a recipient of the love of God. And, and you're a recipient of the love of God. And my, my ability is not to just figure out a way to love you. My, my, my calling is to receive the love of God, to love God back, and allow that to begin to affect our love for other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? You look at your life. You look at your own value by the way that God values you. Can I tell you how he values you? The Bible says that he loves you so much that he bought you, and he didn't buy you with something corruptible like silver and gold or cash. He bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's your value. In other words, it's, it's what's the word I'm looking for? Priceless. That's the word I was looking for. I wish there was a light bulb. It literally it wasn't there, and then it was there. Priceless. Priceless, priceless. Blood of his one and only son. Why? So he could have you. 
And, 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 this is the point, and the person that you can't stand. God sent his one and only son for him or for her. God sent his one and only son for that person that has radically opposing views of you on life and reality and politics and behaviors and lifestyles and all of those things. God sent his one and only son for that person. So who are we to decide who is worthy of the love that we've received? We just say, I've received it. I'm going to give it and allow God to take care of the details. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Father, we pray.